Award-winning journalists, New York Times bestsellers, no topic out of bounds, no opinions left unsaid, an institution for sports talk and information. This is The Sports Reporters. Here's Mike Lupica, Mitch Albom, and Bob Ryan. I'm Mike Lupica, New York Daily News, MLB.com. I'm Mitch Albom of the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe and ESPN, and we heartily welcome you to the Monday morning edition of the Sports Reporters Podcast. We're here each Monday and Thursday, and we are coming off a a, a weekend you know, of, of just so much going on, incredible stuff happening, not incredible, wonderful stuff, great athletic competition taking place, particularly in the NBA, and, and a wonderful ending of a golf tournament, and lots of baseball records being broken, and Dodgers hit 57 home runs in a month, blah, 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 but... Uh, we awaken this morning uh, and a Chadwick Boseman story, which is uh, captivated and, and, and um, really engrossed uh, 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 the, the world of sport because he had a, a personal connection with a lot of players. But we awaken this morning to find out that a literal and figurative giant of college basketball has passed away. And that would be John Thompson, age 78, uh, of undisclosed nature right now, the causes of death. But uh, John Thompson was... You know, I'm going to do it again. A towering figure, six feet ten, a large man. But boy, did he put his imprint, gentlemen, on college basketball. Yeah, he, Bob, you know, I, I, I got to know him uh, pretty well because of our shared uh, friendship with uh, Patrick Ewing. And obviously he was his bas- Patrick's basketball father. I've been texting with Patrick this morning and, and Patrick says, he was a great man. And, and, you know, you look at his legacy, but his legacy at Georgetown and the teams he built, starting with when he re- recruited Patrick out of Boston in, in 1981, is about so much more than wins and, and, and losses. Did, did he ever have the dynasty that we thought he was going to have? No, he did not. His team lost the most famous college, ba- one of the most famous college basketball games ever played to Villanova in, in 1985. But he is one of those people in sports who did not just change his particular sport, but he changed the way you looked at it and the way you thought about it because of the Hoyas of the 1980s. He took a program that really never had any great um, oh, no. stature. Uh, in, 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 uh, Jack McGee college. was a nice guy, Bob, but I well, think, he was, I knew, I think you know, they won three games before I think were three and twenty. Up. I think there were three and 21. Yeah, That's off well, the top yeah, of my this, head. This, this may sound, uh, you know, almost archaic to young listeners, uh, but, you know, back then before he got there, the program was predominantly white and his teams were predominantly black. He faced a lot of early criticism, even though it was the, you know, uh, 70s, uh, 70s compared to 2020, feel like more like 200 years ago than than uh, just uh, 45. And he had to deal with uh, a lot of criticism uh, from people who have been there and all the normal stuff you expect when, you know, a black coach comes in and black players come into a program that had been predominantly white. And he was a he was a uh, long before players were walking off the court uh, to protest social justice, he walked off the court himself. Remember, he uh, yep. to protest that was it Prop the, uh, 48. the Prop, Prop forty eight? Yeah. Yes, and uh, he he literally walked off the court against a game against Boston College. Uh, coaches don't generally walk off the court and show show you know not show. He's ahead of his he, time with the walking off thing, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Uh, but he was a man of, of high principle. And high temper, and uh, you didn't mess with him. He was six foot ten, I believe. And uh, and uh, you know, as I've been reading up on him, I didn't realize that although his NBA career was short, if you're going to spend two years in the NBA, you might as well get drafted by the Boston Celtics, win a couple championships while you're on the bench, and uh, and have a couple rings to show for it. Mitch, back back up Bill Russell and play for Red Auerbach. But he again, once he got to Georgetown, you you got to remember what it was like for him and his teams in in those days and, and but you know again i i was writing a lot of college basketball in those days you know remember the signs at providence ewing can't read okay and banana peels on the court and 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 and, and somebody writing on a sheet that patrick was an, an ape and I, I saw this quote from John today, and I vaguely remembered it. Sooner or later, these kinds of things will cause a riot. Sooner or later, I'm going to tell my players to go up and get the sign and then see what happens. First of all, you cannot be responsible for every idiot who jumps up in the stands and wants to do it. 
but I have no tolerance for administrators who don't do anything about it. That was John. He, uh, oh no, no, he, he was a he was a man's man in, in every way, and that relationship with Red guys was really important to him. Um, oh. And 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 they were cement, they cemented it because, as you know, uh, no, you don't know, as we know, uh, Red was a resident uh, from since nineteen until. Many years of and Washington D.C. and Bobby uh, did did John John went to Carroll in Washington? I think he went to Carroll uh, in as a yeah. I, I, I first encountered I so. him. Yeah, uh, I, I I first heard of John Thompson. He was a teammate of, of Tom Hoover at Archbishop Carroll High School in the late fifties. Uh, two six tens, and they played on my our local school in, in a in a. Eskit tournament, the Eastern States Catholic Invitational in Newport. That's where I first heard about John Thompson. Uh, yes, uh, Archbishop Carroll. Um, but he and Red, that was a very important um, relationship for him. And uh, he, he had Red as a mentor uh, all those years in Washington. He bounced stuff off Red, believe me. He was uh, well known for having a towel around his neck all the time. Uh, he remember, you remember he, he uh, confronted that drug guy uh, back in the 80s, uh, who was hanging around his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I forget who, I think it was Alonzo Mourning back then and, and a couple other guys on the team. And he, he confronted him, and the guy, the guy ended up going to jail. Uh, of course, he stood by Allen Iverson uh, through all the troubles that Allen Iverson had in high school, even before he got there. Uh, and, you know, that's who John Thompson was, if he, Iverson, if he believed thank in you. John, Iverson thanked John for saving his life, Mitch. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's not an exaggeration, considering you see Iverson before and Iverson after. Uh, that's probably accurate. And he was that kind of a coach. You know, he, he it wasn't just players to him. They were young men who needed to be developed. They were sometimes at-risk young men who other player, other coaches didn't want to take a chance on. Uh, and he did, and and he. That's why he's so beloved, and I'm sure will be so missed by so many former players, even more than the fans. Former players uh, who had relationships with him, like you're talking about with Ewing, probably feel like they lost a father figure. And and Mitch and Bob, I mean, four he coached four Hall of Famers. There, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. Oh, yeah. and, and and you know, and and be, it became the school of the big man. You know, I I, I asked him one time. I said, okay. Who do you love the most, Patrick or Alonzo or Dikembe? And he just looked at me in that, you know, that great voice. He said, Patrick came first. And that, you know, it was like they were sitting at the dinner table and Patrick was the eldest child. The bond between them was so tremendous. Patrick, you know, he was so happy when Patrick got the Georgetown job. I mean, think about it. John's own son ended up coaching uh, at Georgetown, John Thompson III, and then Patrick. And, and again, in light of everything that is happening in this country at this time, all the way through Jamal Murray's uh, emotional uh, words after the game last night, John that was John Thompson. John Thompson understood this perfectly. He never backed down. He he never backed up. He 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 he. Inst- you know, uh, yeah. Was there ho- Hoya paranoia? Yeah, there was Hoya paranoia. There was all that stuff. They're playing thug ball, okay. And and he never looked at it this way. He looked at it as as giving these young men and not only the most talented one an an, an opportunity to do something great and and also to go to Georgetown. Let's say uh, there's so many things are flashing through my mind now, Mike, about this guy uh, and and the whole experience. And I know you're writing about it, and I'm going to write about it too. I'm pleased to say today. Uh, but uh, you know that the whole exp- uh, the, the Mary Fenland thing that he had as a his, his <laughs> yeah. sergeant at arms was a former <laughs> yeah. nun who yeah. who who had the steely glare at the writers when they would come into the locker room. Uh, he and you know and to be honest, uh, he loved Vegas and uh, even had a son of a casino kid. A guy on his team basically is a you know is a walk on white white player later on, uh, but he his favorite color we used to say wasn't black and it wasn't white it was green. Yeah, John John liked to make money. I mean that was part of his overall and humanity. Bobby, Bobby, was, you know, once he started doing the, the the radio at the at the at the Final Four, and we yeah. always ended up sitting close to him. Yeah. So every time he just he was like a kid at those games. It was he didn't have to win or lose anymore. No. He's just talking about the game he loved. And I I I'm telling you, it is literally in the hundreds of how many timeouts something great just happened, and I would go running down, and he'd pull off his headset and. He would say,
say something that invariably ended up in one of my columns. One year, Mike, uh, I was on a, I was doing Tony Kornheiser's show, and every year he did a preview of the of the final of the tournament. That was his, yeah. and um, I said in, in discussing Vanderbilt jokingly, and of course it's dangerous, stupidly, that of course they're not going to go far to too white. And, and, and A, I was wrong. They actually had more black starters that year than white starters, which was unusual. But anyway, I took a lot of flack for that, you can imagine, because, you know, you can't win with that stupid. And so I, we, I get to whatever site we were having at the regional, and, and he was there, and he sees me, and he says, uh. you got in trouble for saying the team was too white? <laughs> uh, yeah, John. Well, that's crazy. You know? Um, yeah. Hey, you know, does, uh, Will Bond does a great uh, uh, Thompson. A lot of guys do, of course, but but uh, there's going to be a million stories being told in the Washington media. I can tell you that about John Thompson because it was an unforgettable episode. I just want to point out one more thing, Mike. You mentioned the, the '85 championship game with Villanova, which of course one of the most amazing games ever in college basketball uh, and in the tournament particularly. But he his three fo- tournament finals were all uh, interesting games. You know, it, the Fred Brown game. Yeah. Yep. And and then when they beat Kentucky uh, and and held Kentucky. To what was it? Twenty percent in the second half, something incredibly awful. Uh, you know, the uh, you know, all of his three games and the, and the finals oh my were, God. were Mitch, do you memorable. Remember the games. Fred Brown game. No, <laughs> I mean, I he's they're going to win the game. They're going to they're going to beat Michael and Fred Brown just turned and and just in a panic moment just turned and threw the ball to James Worthy. He just it 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 was one of the most extraordinary moments in in the history of college basketball. But they were that close, Bobby and Mitch, to win in three. I mean, they were that close to win in three. And it's uh, weird that he, for a guy who has such a legendary college career and was such a towering figure in the game, he resigned when he was still in his fifties, I think. uh, Yeah, right. Because of a divorce. You know, problems in his marriage. Yeah, and he, he, yeah. He, he told his team, you know, and, and he, he even he announced, I, I, you know, I got I to gotta address my family and I'll be irresponsible if I don't do that. And he never returned to coaching. I mean, that was the kind no. of thing that people thought, well, all right, he'll get whatever this is behind him and he'll come back in. But he was done. A, a guy to like the NBA, him, there were so many, there would always be a rumor about John going to the NBA, Mitch. Yeah, never coached again. And I mean, for a guy who clearly loved it, uh, that's unusual because usually guys cut that way are still coaching into their 70s and, you know, they die on the job frequently. So uh, that also adds to his sort of quixotic yeah, legend. I mean, it's not, it's just, not a normal career path. Not just a black life that mattered, just an American sports life that, that mattered tremendously. I'll, I'll tell you one one quick story because Bob knows this. Mitch, he was he was funny as a bastard. He he had a great sense of humor. And yeah. and again, we had butted heads, and I thought he had made his players too suspicious of the media, all that stuff. Okay. So one night um, – in early in Patrick's career, they're shooting around. It's, you know, it's six o'clock, whatever time it was. And I'm just leaning against the scorer's table because I love getting there early. And here he comes. And I thought, Oh God, have I written something? Did I, have I done something to piss him off? And he, and he stands next to me and he's not even looking at me or looking down at me as I was telling Bob before we started. He's just talking. Don't feel he's, bad. He's six ten. He could look down on everybody. And he, and Mitch, he just said, you know, we've got a couple of things in common. Because he knew I'd written some mysteries. He goes, we love mysteries and we love Patrick Ewing. And it seems to me, and again, in this deep voice, it seems to me that's enough of a foundation for a friendship. And you know what? It was from from then on, and I'm glad it was. And you know, uh, he loved to use his size as an, as an intimidator. Oh, oh, hell he yeah. He knew how to use it in a... Almost an amusingly threatening way, if you know what I mean. You know, he he knew it, it, he he could scare people. He Luke, lo- you are he my son. It. He sounded like he sounded like James Earl Jones. <laughs> well, well R.I.P. John, and, and our and our our condolences go out to the family, two yep. of his boys, yep. his coaches, yep. uh, and um, you know, it's uh, he had long tentacles, John John Thompson, and and uh, this is a, a very sad day in, in Washington D.C. All right, we'll continue now with uh, the active basketball, the NBA. But before we do, a word from our good friends at GEICO. Hey, friends, did you know that right now GEICO is offering an extra 15% credit on car, motorcycle, and RV policies? That's 15% on top of the money GEICO could already save you. So what are you waiting for? You want your dog to make you breakfast in bed with Belgian waffles and a fresh fruit compote? 
As nice as that sounds, that's probably never going to happen. But at least there's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Visit GEICO.com to learn more. All right, since we last talked to everybody in uh, podcast land, uh, the chalk has held up. And despite concerns early on and Charles Barkley predicting that uh, <laughs> that uh, the Lakers were going to get swept. Was he off uh, with that? Portland. He was wrong about that, right, Mitch? He was uh, slightly was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Just just. Uh, yeah. And uh, the uh, L.A. Clippers turned out to not really have as big a problem with the uh, Dallas Mavericks. As they thought. Now, in both cases, I thought injuries played a, played no, a huge part. Genius. I mean, the teams that started game one and, and were threatening were, were shadows of themselves in game games uh, five and six. But still, you know, these things didn't go seven games as we thought they were going to be. And, and, uh, and the two favorites on the West are now through to the second round. Yes, they are. And uh, we, uh, the Lakers are getting very interesting uh, as they are figuring out how they're going to go about their business, uh, you know, with the two superstars and, and then what, uh, what happens after that. But we, didn't we all, I and mean, I say we, you, me, uh, us, and, and the world at large, call out Anthony Davis after the first couple games. Uh, you know, come on, you got to, as Kuz would say, present yourself. 43 the other day was a pretty good presentation of the product, I would say, gentlemen. And, of course, LeBron just routinely throws up the LeBron numbers. Uh, and uh, they seem to have gotten, and, you know, getting the, the auxiliary help uh, when, uh, from different people when they need it. Uh, I, I think they're in good shape. You I know, what I was, was thinking- most Im- impressive of that. Sorry, Mike. What, uh, was that you know that game was pretty close with uh, I don't know five or six minutes left in it and and then they just turned it on and if they're going to have that capability in the fourth quarter and that's where championship pedigree uh, that LeBron James has helps out and uh, and, and Davis is is riding the coattails of that they're going to be a very tough out because I, I'm telling you Bob you're a far better student of basketball than I am but I've seen a fair share this is not quite normal basketball yet that I'm watching it's it, it still feels like the teams are are are, are getting a, the rhythm or getting to know the defense still isn't there of course playing without fans you know we hear the noise but uh, I, I you know they see the empty seats I just think that uh, experience is going to matter in this because it's just it's just weird and if LeBron is going to be able to inspire that in fourth quarters that are close and looks like a close game and suddenly they're up by 10. I, I don't know exactly who's going to take them down. I mean, we're all waiting to see them face the Clippers in the conference finals. I think that everybody has that in mind. But do you think they're going to either one of these two teams are going to be challenged in the next round? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I, do. I do. I think I think uh, whoever emerges from Denver and Utah will be able to give uh, give uh, a battle. And and um, and because and the other series that OKC and, and and Houston, Houston's it's just such a weird team. You know, you don't yeah. You know, I, I don't dismiss them if they are the ones who do emerge from that one. Uh, so I, I don't think there's any th- a great gap in, in that in in the West. No, I don't. I don't think there's a great gap at all. And the, the Nuggets are showing how dangerous they are. By the way, I was thinking well, this the other day about Anthony Davis, guys. Okay. In the last, there's a reason why the Lakers are the Lakers, even though they fall off the map sometimes. In the last 50 years, Mitch and Bob, the Lakers have traded for Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they signed Shaq, and they traded for <laughs> Anthony Davis. Okay? Mm-hmm. The, that's just the big men. And they traded for Kobe Bryant. The, 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 so Davis is the, is in a long line mm-hmm. of really great players who well, have they ended su- they up. They signed LeBron James. I mean, you know, you got to put yeah. that in there, too. But I was oh, just yeah, thinking yeah. of the big men. Wilt, yeah. Kareem, Shaq. And Anthony Davis in, 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 in the modern world of, of the NBA. Now, okay. So now we got to talk about Jamal Murray. Okay. And, and as I watch these games, and again, I, I don't think as much defense is being played by anybody pretty much except the Los Angeles Lakers because of LeBron's defensive ethic. Okay. I don't know where we're going with this sport. Okay. 
but they have turned three point jump shots into layups. And it, it, it's not it's not subsiding at all. Doesn't matter whether there's a hand in the face. These young men have turned three point baskets into something that you're surprised if a guy gets an open look from that distance and and the ball rims out. And and we we saw the latest example of that in the way Jamal Murray has saved his team's season to to, to this point. And I don't know how many people were talking about this young man coming into the playoffs but all of a sudden he's he's made it like damian lillard who because he's doing that every single night it the moment that got my attention well there are lots of them but one that i had to i I laughed when he pulled up on the three on one you know i mean you know when we all grew up you know that that means it's going to be a layup it has to be a layup it's going to be a layup nothing but a layup i know the world's changed and i and we've seen but when he pulled up and not unhesitatingly drilled the 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 three three pointer and and again by the way this wasn't like they were up by 25 you know they had they had to continue to fight to win this game because mitchell was matching him done in that stretch by the way i'd love to i don't know i I wish i were keeping running i'd love to know how if they how met long the exchange went where they actually were the going back and forth it reminded me of course of the famous Larry Dominique shootout in 88 but there had to be a sequence when there at least a minimum wouldn't you say guys of six well, baskets in which there were three yeah. each trading minimum given the numbers that's almost you can now predict that this stuff is insane Murray is shooting 58.5% from the field and 57.4% from the three. I mean, normally there's some kind of drop-off between those two, and certainly when you're over 50%, closer to 60%, it it literally, Mike, you're so right. It's like it's the same thing. It doesn't matter where you shoot from on the court. If you're open, a three is the same as a layup. Uh, I I, I mean, honestly, I don't think I could make 57% of my layups. (laughs) But Mitch, aren't you watching it with a sense of wonder? I mean, I watch it night after night, and I'm sure you feel the same way and what i said is true though when they miss one you say oh crap did somebody move the basket or well that's what's become the new form of defense is just hoping they miss which is (laughs) which is not really defense i i like defense you know call it my detroit uh pedigree here from the years when you know games were played in the 80s but i like to see a little bit of shifting and doubling and somebody on somebody uh and that just isn't happening here but for whatever reason it's not an accident that guys like Jamal Murray, let alone Damian Lillard, and let alone Donovan Mitchell, and all that, are, are having this kind of percentages. I mean, we have to admit that there aren't people in these guys' faces much of the time, and, and that's fine. It's, it's just going to be shootout, all-star game basketball. So be it. It seems that the fans enjoy it. I, I don't know that in a regular season with regular games where you really are playing defense that Murray would be doing what he's doing. But who cares? This is we're, we're not. There's nothing regular about right now at all, and they've come back from a three-one lead and. It'd be very interesting to see if they uh, the three one deficit rather, and it'd be interesting to see if they carry this through and what momentum it carries into uh, into the into but the round against the Mitch and Bob. Mitch and Bob, do you not now turn on these playoff games in bubble ball and expect something great to happen every single night? And guess what? With all of that, we're about to have our first game seven. Look at what we saw yesterday. We went from the Kawhi. Uh, and Doncic show in that game, which was pretty damn good. And cool. we have to get to Kawhi in a second, too. Uh, we, and we won't be seeing any more Doncic this year. But, boy, what that kid left an indelible impression. I, um, um, and um, we went from that to the Murray-Mitchell show. And Murray, oh, by the way, I thought Charles Barkley was going to have the big one afterward because he was um, echoing what Mitch is or, or amplifying what Mitch is just saying well, about the lack Quinn of defense. Yeah, Why doesn't someone get, you know, double team and get the ball out of his hands every now and then? You know, and that's, that's you know, you can't argue with that against that. Murray's last three games guys 50 42 50 and mitchell's last three games 51 30 and 44 and of course mitchell's the guy who started off this whole business with a 57 <laughs> and i mean we're seeing some boxcar stuff that is just uh, i never you never would have believed it uh, even two years ago that we'd be seeing something like this yep, yep. and mitch uh-huh. and mitch and bob you know i went back and looked at it i mean jamal murray left kentucky after one year stop me if you've heard that one before okay he was the seventh pick 
in that draft, okay, and which means he kind of fell into the same. I think Mitchell was drafted even lower than that. I, I think Mitchell was. It, it might have been in the teens, but but I, you know, I was aware of him. I, I you know, and it was interesting. Listen, to Mike Malone last night saying that he had saved their season because he was dis last year in the playoffs against the Spurs because you know Murray himself felt that he had let his team down last year, and and I have to say that. With everything that has happened over the past week, it was it was it was it was very cool to see how passionate this young man was. He showed you his sneakers last night about the issues that caused the teams to walk off in the first place. That was, uh, you know, there's a famous uh, clip if you remember. I think you both must have seen it. The, the, the show it from the '69 Finals when Jack Twyman's interviewing Russell, and he can't after they win Game Seven, and he can't say anything. He yeah. can't say anything. He's like it's just you know he's he's so emotional, and that and not just about basketball, you know. Uh, and, and what what this kid that that was a how, how many interviews like that have you seen? Well, not many. No, when he started talking, I thought, oh, my God, he's just he's still like coming down. He's still like overwhelmed by what he just did. No, it was. And then it, the camera it, cut that after it was over and they showed that that shot of him and pacing behind, uh, you know, down in the corner. Wherever, and then wherever, kind of on his knees and, wherever and his he face was to the that, floor. It's yeah. not an act. And it's not an act. I don't believe if it is, it's the greatest act. I've, you know, It's not an act. I mean, this is, you know, this whole combination of, of circumstances that they're playing in, uh, you know, the, the, the national unrest, the social justice thing uh, and, and the, the bubble existence. Uh, and and right. it's all welling. It's all coming to a head. With well, some, by the it, way, some of that's going to change now, if I'm not mistaken. Families. The second round is when families can come back in. Yeah. And I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, the, the players <laughs> We're, we're anxious to get to the second round to do that, who are going on. And I'm sure the teams that are going home, th there's not quite the same sense nope. of dejection when a season ends as when teams are leaving the bubble. I mean, you know, I was looking at the reaction of teams that were eliminated and I didn't see any like anybody sitting on the ch on a chair with their head down, looking up at the at the cheering up opposing crowd and wondering how could it end like this? They all seem to have a little bit of like, what time is the flight out of here? And, and when can we go back home? And you can't blame them, you know, although I, I, I'll, I'll still say that they're, they're, they're very, very fortunate to have this kind of employment uh, when you live in a place like I do in Detroit and you see how businesses are shutting left and right and center. Being in a bubble is not the worst thing if, if you, it allows you to continue your job. But now they're going to have their families with them in the second round. And I, I think that things will you know, return a little bit more to normal. I, 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 I want to talk about the Clippers uh, game, though. Yes. Can we, can Good, we do that? You yes. Know? Okay. First of all, Kawhi Leonard, that's why a Western Conference final between LeBron and, and, and Kawhi is going to be so interesting because he basically did the exact same thing. That, that LeBron did in that he turned it on when he needed it to be turned on. In the second half, he shoots nine for 10. Uh, you know, his stats were ridiculously efficient 33 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, five steals. I mean, that, that's playing the entire game. All right. That's not just there bombing from three point land. That's playing the whole game. And that's what they need from him. I still maintain, as we do with Anthony Davis, it's so funny because there's so many parallels there. Paul George can't disappear for two or three games of every series and, and then expect them to win. But neither, you know, can Anthony Davis. And so LeBron and Kawhi are kind of parallels with each other. And he put his, his foot down on this series when it needed to and, and got them out of there in, in, in you know, uh, four, six games instead of, you know, instead of seven and making it close. So uh, he's... I, I don't know, Mike and, and, and Bob. I mean, we started the season saying Kawhi Leonard's the guy to beat because of how he ended last year. Do we still feel that way? I did. Well, I, but, Mitch, I, I always felt that, that again, when, when I thought the Lakers were going to have Avery Bradley and, and LeBron James was going to be blessed with good health, I thought that the unbeatable combination in the sport was going to be him and AD. I, I, I still believe that, even though I know that there are deficiencies offensively okay what you saw yesterday is Kawhi Leonard can have his dominating a performance in a game uh, doing all the sorts of things that LeBron does um, for, for, the, for the Lakers without scoring 50 points okay and including they made a big thing out of it but you know what he did go on the floor and as somebody I forget which announcer pointed out he was the only one on the floor for that loose ball okay and it turned and he turned it into a basket 
for the Clippers. And so, listen, I and I think any sports fan wants to see the Clippers play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. But I will tell you this, okay? I will tell you this. Do- Doc Rivers better sit down with Morris and tell him to cut the shit. Okay, because he 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 ought to be suspended for swinging at Doncic's head yesterday. Yeah. Well, I was really disappointed in Rivers, to be honest with you, because he ought to know better than to say, "Oh, that I didn't think he deserved to be ejected." That's just a reputation foul. That I don't care if you if you blank out the faces. That's not a reputation foul. You can watch it a thousand times over. The announcers were very clear on it the minute it happened. Oh my God, you know that that's got to be a flagrant. And 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 the the more you watch it, the, the more there is to it. Uh, you know, now he does have a reputation, Marcus Morris. I mean, he's got a reputation a mile long for uh, scuffles on the court, for issues off the court. And so for him have to come out Have you seen some say, of these quotes, Mitch, from him? Yeah, he, he acts yeah. like he's, he's like, the most respected player I know, in the whole right. freaking sport. Exactly. It's, it's like uh, somebody attacked Mother Teresa or something. You know, I, <laughs> my reputation, yeah. you know my reputation. Anyone would suggest that I'm a dirty player. It's a, are you kidding? Are you watching? You're reading your own <laughs> clips and watching your own film? It's so true. Yeah, Mike and I are both very proprietary toward Doc, uh, as you know, Mitch, and, 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 you know, I'm sorry, I wish he had, you know, but he's, he's, he's protecting his guy, you know, and, and all that, I know, it's, it's so, I'm, I'm willing to cut. Bobby, he can't say that he only got the flagrant no, because I, he's Marcus Moore. He just we, can't say that. We can, agree, we can, we can disagree with that. We can, we can, He doesn't you know. have to say anything, he just said it's unfortunate, you know, and, and, and that's it. You don't have to start defending him, though. That's where he loses credibility. And look, if we're going to celebrate Doc for his, his comments that, that cut to the heart, then you've got to criticize him when, when, when they're wrong. It's not – he can back, take it. Back to Kawhi for a minute. Um, there's lots of discussion among the pundits on, uh, on the shows about um, the Michael comparison in terms of the efficiency, which way he's getting his shot uh, in the mid lane and mid-range lane, et cetera. Uh, the interesting thing that strikes me is that uh, – uh, he, it all looks so casual, and there are no sparks flying with this. It's just, yeah. you know, maybe it's because we translate what we, you know, we, we feel about his his phlegmatic public personality. You know, there might be a different person behind closed doors that we don't know about. But certainly, the way he's presented himself to the public is 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 the most unemotional and phlegmatic person. As opposed to Michael, when when Michael did what Michael did, and and uh, it, it always seemed there were sparks flying, you know, on the court. It's all it's all perception, I'm sure, but uh, I I am just struck by the incredibly ease and measured calm, calm way he just he just saunters into the lane. It's a damn shot he wants. Bob, I was thinking about this. If Michael Michael made you watch the way Willie Mays watch you made you watch him play baseball. Okay, Kawhi is more like Henry Aaron. You know, it's just he just like it's that. like watching Henry Aaron hit. And there was no sparks off of Henry Aaron on his way to 755. <laughs> and and think about this, though, guys, again, and we've talked about this before, Mitch. If Kawhi does win another title with his third team and becomes the MVP of the finals again, he I don't know how he can possibly elevate his place in basketball history more but he will. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You got it. Oh, he will. And you elevate it by accumulation at that level. You know, then it becomes how many. Uh, and, and, and you go for the numbers and like, like LeBron James is trying to do now. Uh, and, and, you know, that, look, we'll see if that happens. Uh, but right now, you're right. There's a certain elegance to his game that defies a lot of the other sparks and noise that take place around the NBA. I'll tell you and, who... I'm, so, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, no, no worries. Go ahead. I'll tell you who uh, his his if it, his consistency of numbers uh, in this series is most reminiscent of among the all-time greats who, and particularly a great who doesn't get remembered enough uh, these days. This is Oscar Robertson revisited what he's doing with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Go check. Oscar was famous. It, every night was 30 and 10. You know, it wasn't 40 one night and 19 the next. No, no, no. It just seemed like it's, that was the perception you always felt. Oscar Robertson was just right in the 30, right in the 10 every night. And and this is he's got five straight 30s ca- casual. And I'm calling him casual. Five straight casual 30s in this series. I mean, this is yep. that. So that's who we another guy that I'm comparing. I, 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 a, fare, a farewell to Luka Doncic. Uh, there. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, what a what a. Uh, I mean, it was only five games, 
But, boy, he really showed a lot of people who he is. And when you consider that this kid's 21 years old, 21 years old, uh, it's it's remarkable. I mean, a lot of the future of the NBA is going to be in his hands. And, and, you know, Damian Lillard out as well. I mean, there's some amazing uh, talents who are gone in the first round, but they not without making their mark. You know, they, they reminded a lot of people – of, of what's to come in, in, in the future in the NBA. And if Dallas were stayed healthy and if Portland had stayed healthy, I don't think we would have had five and six game series. I think they would have gone longer. Yeah, and it'll not, be good Well, this to is going to be an issue back. with Porzingis. It, it is. Uh, health is going to be an issue uh, with Porzingis. I, I sometimes think he's... He's still playing for a New York team, but it might be the Yankees. Uh, and, and the way he keeps, you know, gets hurt at, at big. What about the Celtics? What about the Celtics and, and the team that we had started to think of as our Raptors? Well, the, uh, number one, uh, they have a, both teams have a history here to, uh, to deal with and with regard to the nature of this opening game victory by the Celtics. We've seen this before from both of those teams, one of whom dealt dug themselves out of the hole. Last year, Toronto was 0-2 uh, against Milwaukee. And the Celtics, who who twice, uh, well, they, they pounded Milwaukee and never won a game, another game a couple years ago. So I, I, I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm, like the fan factor here for me. I was, of course, it was fun to watch, but I'll tell you how what I'm thinking. When they got that great start, I'm going, oh, please, I hate great starts. <laughs> I, I, I hate great starts. I like great finishes. Straight starts make me nervous, but they never wavered. The worst it got was nine, I think, at one brief moment, and they pushed it back up. They look terrific. They look terrific. And one of the, the X factors in terms of their offense is always Marcus Smart. When he hits the, when he hits, is, is, Part of the offensive uh, 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 force, they are then very. When very does Hayward play beat. again? Um, maybe in in the finals if they get to the finals. The and then NBA he's got finals or the Eastern Conference NBA player. finals. I think Mike. I think wow. And then he's got wow. a. a, 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 a uh, a child, uh, you know, uh, a, a baby coming thing too. He's already it was already known he was going to be missing time in September. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. We'll double check. But I I think it's NBA finals. But, uh, well, well, we'll we'll see if this was just a uh, one game. I, remember, the they were off for five days. The Toronto was, and uh, you got to get your timing back. And Fred Van Fleet shot three for sixteen. You know, Siakam after, uh, did not play well. Uh, yeah. Well, wait a minute. How long were the Celtics well. off though? They swept the Sixers. Yeah, they were off. They were off a long time. They were. Yeah, apparently. No, see, I, I mean, I just, I'm just. Uh, you know Toronto's coming back better. You know, this is not going to... It was yeah, nice. It was, played it was, it, it was, see, I can it play it back. I'll tell you what, there's one thing going on with the Celtics, though, that, that, that was not present uh, in the season and was not present at the beginning of the bubble. And, and, it, and it's interesting. And, it, and that is they have a new force in Robert Williams. They have a, a, a they, and they've been touting him, guys. They've been touting him since they drafted him a couple of years ago. Uh, as a possible, you know, force. He's he's six eleven. He's very athletic. Uh, uh, he's raw offensively, but he's a born shot blocker, and 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 he takes up good space. You know, and I call that, uh, and and it's a dimension that they uh, can now present. He wasn't useful against Embiid, but he's going to be able to play in this series. And um, uh, he he at one point he actually blew by Gasol on offense. Oh, sorry, they have, that's a new force. That's something that right, wasn't we we, we need to uh, mind our time and uh, and uh, get to uh, a couple other big things that happened in sports. Including a golf tournament that just it, it although it wasn't the Masters or a major, it had the kind of excitement that you uh, expect from those things. It had the kind of finish, sort of for the ages. I, I don't know if if John Rahm and, uh, and Dustin Johnson are ever going to be able to do that again, but having done it once, uh, those putts that we saw to put the put the game into overtime, so to speak, and then to win it were really remarkable. If you were happened to just be home Sunday afternoon watching a little golf, you really got more than your money's worth. I was trying to monitor the basketball and the golf. I had invested in the golf starting on Saturday, and I was invested in it. And uh, I'm so happy that I was able to. Uh, and we were and in the middle of all this was dinner. Dinner outside. So I'm gotten. I mean, I'm. I'm I finally. I was able to you see. Had it. a good day. I, I, I had a great sports fan day. I think we can talk about it. But the point is, this golf thing, I'm going to make a blanket statement that, of course, is in, unsupportable 
uh, unprovable and, and probably ludicrous. I am going to suggest that what we saw with the nature, the nature of those two putts, back-to-back holes with the circumstances in, at stake, one guy making a putt needed to get into a playoff, the other guy winning that playoff uh, with the nature of that putt, the, uh, two snaky, curvy, crazy putts that, that, that the average person could not even begin to imagine how to figure out. The back-to-back, going back to old Tom Morris in 1860, that might have been the greatest back-to-back putts of consequence in the history of the sport in oh, America. Oh, sigh, sigh. I, listen, I love it. How's that, Mike? Okay, okay Bob. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I believe me. We've, we've gone back and forth on this. I, I know you were swept away. I think everybody loved it as a sports fan. I, I have followed the sport my whole life. I loved it, okay? Uh, Justin made one of the great putts I've ever seen until, uh, until John Rahm. And, 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 and the context was Rahm had come from behind and... And he had he had shot 64 on a major championship type course. But I'm just going to say this. okay? I'm going to say it one time. As great as it was, it wasn't a major. It wasn't even close to being a major. There have been other endings in sport in this sport that were better than this. Yes, the putts were great, but this wasn't. And and, and I know Rom's putt was better than Johnson's. We, we talked about what happened in Muirfield with Murakawa, who went on to win a major this year, and Justin Thomas. And and Thomas made a comparable putt to to th- seemingly win the tournament, and then Murakawa had to make one right on top of him, which which Dustin Johnson did. Okay, it was. Fabulous golf has been fabulous, but but when you are talking about moments and putts, it wasn't Mickelson making the putt to win the Masters and and, and jumping like he thought he was an NBA player. It, it just wasn't. I'm not throwing cold water on it. I was texting with my sons. We loved it. I loved it as a golf guy, but it's 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 not Bob. It's 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 as great as it was on its own merits, but it doesn't have to be any greater than that. You're putting the, all the onus on the fact that it wasn't a major period, and I'm telling and I'm saying that the nature and as a golfer, how can you? Downplay this, Mike. I'm they, not downplaying. You are. If by, by oh, the, I don't bullshit. care if these putts won the first flight of a country club championship, and that's what they would, and that's they did. They would be ranking as incredible athletic feats, back to back, to see those two putts. Then this wasn't 15 foot uphill straight. I don't care. This was astonishing reads and 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 strokes and 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 I. That's all. Okay. There's no end to an argument over how great was something because it's always going to be subjective. But for, from a from a pure golf point of view, and, and and that's all. It was a remarkable finish and a couple of remarkable shots. Where it stands uh, oh, well, relative to if oh, it was a major, you, we could argue that forever. Oh, and throw one more thing, in, but, and this is irrefutable, and I know Mike will agree to this. The the it, the uh, coda here, John Rahm uh, won a tournament in which he had a chance of losing it because he had a a penalty stroke the day before. Of a, of yeah. a, you know, the only very, bogey of the of the tournament. Of a very, you know, uh, ticky, you know, it's ticky tack nature, you know, but it's golf. You have to, you can't do it. He picked up the ball without the marker, and uh, and 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 he cost himself. They could have lost the tournament for that reason, so he came back and won. John Rahm, by the way, I mean, Mike, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm going to just, just give me, give me John Rahm, John Rahm. What do, what do you think, John Rahm? Where, who is he? Where's he going? Oh, I, 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 I think he has a, a complete game. He's fearless. He has got his emotions under control, and he can putt. By the way, the putt he made yesterday wasn't. It, it, it was more difficult. But please remember that when when he was first winning on the the PGA Tour, he made an eagle putt on the a, 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 a thousand not a thousand yards, but he made a huge long eagle putt to win in San Diego. So he is capable of of great moments, and it's amazing that he picked up his ball the other day without throwing a marker down. It's just amazing. Okay. All right. All right. We're going to uh, shift to uh, college football here in a second, but first, one more word from our good friends at GEICO. Did you know that right now, GEICO is offering an extra 15% credit on car, motorcycle, and RV policies? That's 15% on top of the money GEICO could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your dog to make your breakfast in bed? With Belgian waffles and a fresh fruit compote? As nice as that sounds, that's probably never going to happen. But at least there's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Visit GEICO.com to learn more. 
Living out here in Big Ten land, uh, I can tell you that when the announcement was made to cancel the Big Ten football season, coupled very quickly by the cancellation of the Pac-12 season, I think the anticipation was that everybody was going to cancel, that the SEC was going to cancel, the ACC was going to cancel, the Big 12 was going to cancel. And you might as well be first, take the moral high ground. Uh, the, 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 the information is obvious. The risk is obvious. And I think the Big Ten... Uh, and and and, uh, and and its commissioner were kind of proud about, no, we're going to do this, we're going to take a stand. Then the moral high ground kind of became an island, and it was just the Pac-12 and the Big Ten of the power conferences, and the other ones are like, well, we're just going to keep playing. And now I think we've reached the point where the Big Ten, between the parents who are complaining about this and who have, have made their complaints very vocal and some coaches who have made some side comments about this and haven't been shy about it. And now some talk that maybe the Big Ten will come back around Thanksgiving weekend kind of shows you that there's, a, shall we say, uh, what's the what's the uh, conscience version of buyer's remorse that they made their decision and now they're like, I don't know if the SEC is going to be playing. Maybe we don't want to miss out on that. What do you guys think of a, of a potential Thanksgiving start? This is a mess, and, and it shows you the chaotic way the Big Ten is being run. Please remember, they, they, they came out with their schedule a week after they said they weren't going to play. Okay. And now they're clearly, clearly worrying about two things, money and, and, and the pressure being brought to bear on them to, you know, and I say this with just, just enough sarcasm. Let the kids play. Okay. But, but Mitch, they look like they're running around with like chickens with their heads cut off. And, and they, they look like a bad sports team whose only plan is to get to the next plan. So what, play this out. Say they do start in, 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 uh, around Thanksgiving. Say the other, say the rest of the teams, the SEC and the ACC are, have been able to get through the season without being shut down. So the Big Ten's going to run the, the end of their regular season. While the, the whatever playoffs we're going to have in, in, in for the SEC and the ACC are, are, are being played out, how's that going to well, work? How, but do, how can you even have playoffs if you're going to have, if suddenly they're playing the 2020 mm-hmm. season, but they're starting it in November when, when the other teams like uh, Auburn and, and Alabama or, or, and, and, and Georgia and LSU and are playing their conference uh, titles, you know. Uh, then what, do they wait around for four months to play the playoffs? Because uh, you can't deny that if the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 are playing, you can't say, well, you guys can't be in a national championship thing. So it, you're right. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's like uh, uh, concurrent but, but not parallel seasons. I, I don't see any way that this happens. I think part of it, Mike and Bob, is that they, they're always talking about the NFL draft, and they don't want to lose players to the NFL draft, and so they want to make sure that the season is over. Ryan Day has been talking about this, and James Franklin's been talking about this, and we got to get the season done before the NFL draft. Why? They don't care about the NFL draft. They care about losing their players, because if their players say, well, we don't want to take a risk and, and not be ready for the combines in the NFL draft, so we're not going to play this season, then uh, then suddenly they lose their star players, which Nick Saban talked about. So I think that may have something to do with why they want to start in November, because it gives them cushion. Mitch, could you enlighten us, perhaps, as to if you, from what, as far as you know, when Kevin Warren, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, made this uh, announcement uh, that they weren't going to play, how was that reached? It seems that right away, it seems that there was no unified viewpoint in the Big Ten. Right away, there were rumbles from Nebraska. There were, was that just Scott for us shooting off his mouth? There were yeah, the rumbles. Pro- from- the problem was that he he didn't really consult the coaches and everybody. He sort of he talked with the university presidents, mm-hmm. but. The- coaches felt a little left out on it and they they kind of found out about it as opposed to being in on it and that's what started all of the uh but as far as you know uh the 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 presidents was there a unified feeling or was it yeah yes so yeah i'm telling you at the time they did it it just seemed obvious bob it just seemed like it still seems obvious to me but hear ye hear ye i want the world to know that if they go out and have a playoffs at all that i Bob Ryan refused to extend any diplomatic recognition to the playoff this year. I just want them to know that they're gonna—they're not gonna have my sanction. I mean, that's it. I don't well, care. You, uh, there's you no, keep seeing stuff like happen in Auburn and the players. <laughs> they've got 16 players now that, uh, that that can't play, and you're getting pretty close to the start of their season. Anyhow, we'll see what happens there. We are going to get to parting shots. 
And Mike Lupica, why don't you lead us off? Now, now, parting shots. People thought the Padres, who had been losers for a long time in baseball, were nuts when they spent $300 million for Manny Machado. And the baseball winner of Machado and Bryce Harper. Buck Showalter, though, once the only big league manager Machado had ever had, looked at it differently. I thought, okay, they're ready to win, Buck told me the other day. Now Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. are the most exciting one-two punch in baseball, and the Padres are making deals, and they might not win this season, but they're going to win soon. Tatis has 13 homers in half a season, and Machado has 11 after a slow start. Both are hitting over 300. Tatis is 21, Machado is 28. Bottom line, sometimes you don't just buy talent with a free agent. You sell hope at the same time. How's that working out in San Diego right now? You know, 35 years ago, the Phoenix Suns broke new ground by signing a Bulgarian forward named Georgi Guchkov, who had no American background whatsoever. And now we have a league bursting with talent, not born and in many cases not remotely bred in the USA. In yesterday's playoffs, we saw on the court two Germans, two Serbians, two Canadians, and someone from Republic of the Congo, Spain, France, Croatia, Cameroon, Australia, and best of all, a 21-year-old marvel from Slovenia. A Canadian from Kitchener, Ontario, scored 50 points for the Nuggets. On deck are a spectacular Greek plus players from New Zealand, Turkey, and Switzerland, and more Canadians. Much of this is the legacy of the 1992 Dream Team, which fired up imaginations around the globe. Oh, and Georgi Glukov, Juchkov, lasted one year, scoring four points a game, and there has never been another Bulgarian. I have no punchline. So today is baseball's trade deadline. Imagine you're a GM on a team that is kind of, sort of, on the bubble of making the playoffs. What would you do? Well, in this crazy year, it depends entirely, as they say of gamblers, on your risk factor. You could go for it, trade away prospects for a star, because after all, it's just a 60-game season and more teams than ever make the postseason. Who knows? You could win a World Series you never expected. Or you can pull your chips off the table because, as I said, it's a 60-game season. A five-game losing streak could sink you. And yeah, after you trade your prospects for a soon-to-be free agent star, COVID-19 could break out big, season's canceled, your star leaves, your prospects are gone, and you got nada. Good luck, general managers. You'll need it. That's going to wrap things up for today's Sports Reporters Podcast. We do this every Monday and Thursday. If you like what you heard, consider leaving us a rating. We always appreciate that. Five stars would be nice, as they say in the Uber world. Uh, we also appreciate uh, the fact that you catch us on any of the popular platforms that would be stitcher spotify apple pandora tell your friends we will be back on thursday until then on behalf of mike lupica and bob ryan mitch album here saying have a great week